Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 380. It's a whole lot of episodes, isn't it, really? And you know what? I'm, I, I don't say this all the time, and I'm going to be bold, but this might be the best episode yet of all 380. Yeah, I know, that's that's high, high praise, and I'm probably forgetting a few, but when I came off of this recording, I spoke to a few people and said that I think this might be the best episode I've ever recorded. It's with Wheelchair Sports Camp, or it's with Kaylin Heffernan, um, who is uh, the the embodiment of Wheelchair Sports Camp, the rapper. A lot of you will have heard me raving about their single, Yes, I'm a Mess, a month or two ago. Uh, and and, and, and Kaylin came up in the B. Dolan episode, which was also a really emotional one, with the story of the surgery he's been through recently. So I had to get Kaylin on, and as you'll hear, like like we've known each other. I I put that in quotation marks. We've known each other a minute, but this was the first time we'd properly got to sit down and chat. Like we've we've DM'd and we've chatted on socials and all that kind of thing, but this was the first time we jumped on Zoom and and we're kind of face to face. And I was constantly in awe of this woman. Just amazing stories and an amazing human. Um, at the end, at the end of the conversation, I'm going to pop a little bit of, 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 of Yes, I'm a Mess. I've not even cleared that with, uh, with Kaylin, but I want to l- let you hear a chunk of that. So we'll, 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 we'll have the interview. Maybe we'll come out of it into the, into the track, and then we'll f- fade that out, and I'll, I'll give you an outro and tell you about everything that's going on at the moment. But yeah. I, I recommend even now just pause and go on YouTube and type yes I'm a mess Y E S S I'm a M E S S wheelchair sports camp because the video is as good as the song man it's a, 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 a banger in all respects um, yeah let's get into the episode obviously I mentioned B Dolan there and we talk about m- music here you can get all of my music and merch over at speechdevelopmentrecords.com we also talk a little bit about how tough it can be to be um, a musician in the modern age of everything is free. So, um, yeah, you can head over to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and support the podcast by buying podcast merch, like my live DVD, which I bang on about a lot, but it's the best thing I've ever put out, or any of the merch. We've got summer merch, we've got winter merch, so you're covered for the average British season. Um, head over there, speechdevelopmentrecords.com. I will be back at the end. But for now, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Kaylin Heffernan, Wheelchair Sports Camp. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. I'm recording. So am I. Okay. I'll begin then. Right, I'm here today with Kaylin Heffernan, um, Wheelchair Sports Camp. How are you doing? Hey, good morning. Good. Happy to be here. I'm glad to be able to chat. How are you holding up in these mad times? Are you in Denver, right? I'm in Denver. Mad. It's mad. Real wavy, you know? It's like... um. The highs and the lows all in the same feeling. It's kind of like um, like all the emotions we go through, like writing one song, but it's yeah. like a kind of daily, just like 
and there's no album to show for it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because you've, for me, Yes, I'm a Mess has been the anthem of this time. But as you said in one of your posts, it's the anthem of the pandemic that you wrote like three years ago. So it's, yeah, it's, it's kind like of weird. Four years ago. <laughs> four yeah. years ago. So so how was that? It's kind of, it's mad that it's, yeah, it's it's always scary. I mean, that's kind of, I think it's a positive s- song it's reflecting on negative times but it's a positive song but me and dolan talk all the time how depressing it is when you write like a political song or something and then it remains relevant for 10 years or 15 years and you're like oh i was hoping things would change and this would stop being relevant like film the police is a prime example of dolan's that it's like he wrote that years ago and we all hoped oh this is of the moment and then years on, it's like, no, this is still depressingly relevant. So how was it to have kind of more of an uplifting song, I guess, kind of become relevant to such an unpredicted time? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. You know, it's like being a futurist without really knowing it. And uh, it is, though, kind of nice to know that, like, the art aged well, because that's something you can't predict. You know, you can... You can hope to write something that that will stay, you know, relevant. Maybe not relevant, but at least like um, impactful. Yeah. Uh, and and still like sound good. And I usually hate my raps like right away. You know. Yeah. So um, th- this is four years old now, and we we were playing it live quite a bit, working it out. I've only hated it once so far, so it's. <laughs> That's pretty it's good. solid. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. That's a good ratio. Um, how have you found kind of creativity in this time? Because, again, a weird thing, every time there's something big political happening or socially, a lot of people will be like, man, it's good for artists, though. And I don't think it's as simple as that. No, it's Like, not. sometimes it's really not. Sometimes it's not that kind of, oh, I can, can lock into this and get an album out of it. But that said... I've confessed numerous times. I remember I've had times where I've had like a heartbreaking breakup and I'll be in tears going to sleep. And just before I fall asleep, it will cross my mind that I'll be like, man, I'm going to get at least a song out of this, if not, if not a whole record. So there is, there is, there is parts of it. Yeah. That's, that's, yes, I'm a mess. Yes. I'm a mess was a really sad boy breakup or like heartbreak lesbian shit that I was going through so it's kind of funny that it would relate to the global (laughs) situation at hand but I have stayed somewhat creative surprisingly but differently Um, we were supposed to do uh, Alice in Wonderland musical last summer right? Um, so I I still had deadlines (laughs) in the pandemic and uh, finished writing the soundtrack music of the production May of last year. Um, So that's still kind of like floating and we're doing mixing and kind of like the finalized touches of that. And then um, I I don't know if you're familiar with Meow Wolf. Um, It's like an immersive art theme park almost yeah yeah i've heard of it and and you, you again i think i heard of it f- through you guys because you've created like a venue of sorts there right or 
Um, not not quite the venue. There will be a venue, um, but they're opening a new location in Denver, and we're building a permanent installation or room, basically. Amazing. Uh, in this massive place. Uh, so, yeah, like I, I don't know. It was such a time of like uh, reflection and like being home way more than I've ever been. Like my apartment's kind of clean now and (laughs) I cook regularly. What you cook here, what have you learned? Like what's been your go-to? I've got into, while I'm out in Vancouver, I've got into HelloFresh. And again, I never thought I'd be that guy, but I love that shit, man. Because it's, it's pushing me rather than just make the things I know, it's making me make a different thing every day. And I'm like, I'm all about it. I should, I have them as a sponsor. I, it's I meant to do that. I meant to try that during the pandemic. I should do it before it's over. Um, my go-to is like breakfast, like Webbles Ranchettos at like 11 p.m. Love it. Especially like being creative I, yeah, and being home all the time is like I can just smoke weed all day and drink coffee and like work on my own time so then i'm like not actually feeding myself till super late at night and i'm want breakfast yeah. <laughs> um so that's probably like what i've cooked the most <laughs> but i've been i've been cute i've been like hey i gotta i gotta figure out how to make green chili it's a very like denver thing or like i i've been craving poutine and I can't go to Canada, so I figured that out. Or, like, just Love things it. that I really like. So, yeah, I've been cooking, making a mess. I'm, like, the messiest cooker ever. <laughs> I'm, like, little, and everything's already, like, an extra task. So, like, the the kitchen gets wild when I'm making food. I'm usually yeah. naked now. It's... Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> Yeah, I've been I've been somewhat creative, <laughs> just not publicly or amongst others. It's been I, wild. I, I love that that, that post eating. There's there's a kitchen cleanup and a personal cleanup to do because <laughs> it's just it's, all got so messy. It's so messy. It's so messy. It's good that I'm not cooking for other people because, like, I'm a super slow cooker and messy cooker that, like, I don't even know if I would want to serve a ton of people because I'm, like, sweating all in it, you know? Yeah. It's just, like, <laughs> more solo vibe kind of thing. This is for me. Uh, well, <laughs> you came up in conversation uh, when I had B. Dolan on again recently, and I've been into you guys for a minute, and B's the guy that introduced me. And he's given me some good things to ask you about as well. So we'll get to that. He's, he, he was like, I've got some inside scoop sh- story yeah. that you need to trying get off. To all, off cut- <laughs> trying to be on Nardwar. Yeah, 100%. Not but, surprised. Um, it, it, it came up because you were one of the people that really helped him before, during and after his surgery. Um, he said speaking to you was was just a huge thing. I think you were the first person he called. Um, and it's because you've had a lot of surgeries yourself. So you're an OG at these things. So can you give us kind of a brief history of your, of, of, of your health kind of thing of, of the stuff that mm-hmm. you've had to encounter and, and go through? Yeah. Um, I was born with osteogenesis imperfecta, which is brittle bones. Right. So they didn't know I had it when I was born. I had like a pretty normal uh, birth 
And then about three months later, my mom heard a break. And by that time, by the time she took me in, like I had already had 25 breaks. Wow. And they thought she was beating on me. So then she beat on the social worker. (laughs) So like, um, (laughs) they, they almost took me. But yeah, it was like surgeries. I started getting surgeries when I was nine months. Oh, um to rod my femurs. Um so my bones break easily. They usually he- especially then they healed fairly quickly. Um but when they heal they like bend and curve. Mm-hmm. And then you're really susceptible to break that same spot. So putting a rod through the marrow of my bones was like a treatment at the time and still today for some of us to keep the bones straight, they kind of like break it as many times as they need to to get it as straight as possible, put a stainless steel in there, and then hopefully prevents it from breaking as easily as well. But I was like a growing baby kid, so I'd have to get them replaced every six months right, and course. spend a big chunk of my little early life in a spica cast, which is like a cast up to your chest and both legs um, casted. And there's like a bar in between. So you're like uh, all the way flat. I don't even think they do that to kids anymore. (laughs) Sounds intense. Yeah, it kind of was, but I don't know. So yeah, I've had like hella, hella fractures and hella surgeries um, related to the fractures. I did have my spine fused in high school. So yeah, uh, and I've been on, Bernard and I, B and I have like been on tour a lot together. Yeah. One of the times I did break, so no, some stupid person at show like smacked me from behind and it broke a rod that was like already just kind of floating in my arm. So I had to come home and like get surgery. I finished the tour. Luckily it was like this weird break that didn't give me a lot of pain. So he thinks, yeah, like he thinks I'm an OG of which I am, but also like I've, you know, what he's been through in like nerve things is like, so gnarly and i'm so lucky that i haven't had to deal with a lot of that and a lot of people get like really bad spasms around breaks and i get it sometimes but for the most part like i've been i feel like i've been pretty lucky and i don't have chronic pain like a lot of others with my disability so i'm tough but i've also i'm also a little lucky you know yeah uh but it was Yeah, I'm always happy to, like, walk people through surgery and stuff because it is so intense and, like, scary. And the older, you know, for me, it's just been, like, a normal part of life, you know, every year at least kind of thing. Well, that's what I was going to say. The kind of the the toughness you casually dropped in there is so much bigger for all of us who haven't been through that than you kind of, yeah, I'm kind of tough, but just knowing – you know, or even just for me, imagining what what touring a life would be with even with a chair, mm-hmm. l- let alone all the other you know issues and 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 things, restrictions that the world puts upon you. 
in in those situations is unimaginable. So it's one of the reasons it's as soon as I got, I became a fan of your music, it became dope and inspirational to watch either along with the tours with Dolan or whatever else Mm -hmm. and go like, man, this is just, yeah, fuck it. Here's some shit we got to deal with. And that's, it's a circus. That's the DIY indie rap outlook anyway, but you take it to the next level. It's kind of like (laughs) all of us have been, man, this was a rough tour. I had to get a train and then I had to do this. And we're kind of, but we do it because we love the art. And then I look over and go, what the fuck am I even complaining about? Acting like some (laughs) a tough guy. Yeah, I slept on a floor. What does it matter? It's like, (laughs) this is next level shit. Yeah, but like having it be my whole life kind of gives me a lot, like a one-up on everybody to like, deal with it you know so like when people kind of look at me like oh if you could do it anybody could do it it's like no like I've I've (laughs) just been like I inherited this you know like so yeah like his his surgery's been some shit and and it's something that like even though my back surgery was more intense um I didn't have like some of the pain that he's having, I had a back brace for a few months, but the older I get, you know, the more death sets in and the more people that I've lost. Uh, so surgery is still frightening, but it, it gets, it gets more frightening for me the older I get. Cause I, you know, it's, you don't take this shit for granted as much as like when you're just like a toddler and they tell you like surgery again, you know, it's like, okay. Uh, now it's like, Oh fuck, you know, I should yeah. probably like eat better. And, uh, not smoke so much weed beforehand. And, you know, I don't know. Like I, it's no joke. Surgery is yeah. no joke. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're going to jump all over the place in this conversation and there's numerous things I want to talk about in, in, in what you've just said alone, but you mentioned the losing people and we're going to get to activism as well at some point, because it's a huge part of, of you, but you did a post a while ago, a few weeks back about a friend that you lost and it was so beautiful because you spoke of her, of the two of you at a protest and her refusing or them refusing Mm. to, tell the police how to use her wheelchair to move her saying, look, I'm not going to resist, but I'm also not going to help you get rid mm. of me kind of thing. And it was like, so dope to read such a, 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 a powerful and intellectual approach to, to protest and to the disability being part of protest. And it was, mm. it was amazing to see and hear that kind of thing of, again, that resistance, but going, look, you can't claim I'm being, aggressive in any way i'm being as compliant as you like but yeah she was a badass <laughs> yeah that was carrie ann lucas who super badass disability um like icon here in town that was super smart and a lawyer and like had to become a lawyer just to adopt kids um because she was a much better fit than i think maybe her sister at the time and disabled especially significantly disabled people um weren't able to adopt um and especially adopt another significantly disabled kid so 
she was like, well, fuck that. I'm going to law school and I'm taking this shit to court. And now it's law that you cannot be discriminated against. Oh, um, wow. So, yeah, I was really lucky to kind of like invite myself slash be invited to sit in um, <laughs> the senator's office when um, the Republicans were trying to take our Medicaid and, and repeal Obamacare, which the first thing that would have gone was Medicaid. And what Medicaid spends most money on is uh, in-home care uh, at home attendant and that was a really cool time in my life that was like shortly after I wrote yes I'm a mess because like I was just I had like my Saturn return so like I was a fucking mess like I was so unstable and just like so heartbroken and just a mess just like not all the way connected to my body just feeling like crazy all the time um, and I still, I've always gone to protest and been out and been active, but I was in a time in my life where I was like really frustrated that disability wasn't being recognized or prioritized in any of this like new hip intersectional talk, you know, like yeah. intersectionality has become a really b- cool buzzword that's awesome, but like disability was always lacked or not included at all and I was going to some Black Lives Matter marches and like there was one real significant time that like everybody just marched up the stairs and I was at the bottom and everybody like it was just I don't know it really fucked me up and like I wanted to jump on the bullhorn and kind of like talk about the intersection of disability within race and class and every little thing um but then it's like not my place you know it's like for black i didn't want the oppression olympics like never is good (laughs) so uh i went home and i i cried about it for a really long time and i was like mad outwardly mad and then i was like well wait a second like you have done so much shit you know what have you what do you what have you done or what do you know about the disability like justice movement You know, like I knew Rosa Parks, I knew all these significant like members of resistance and hadn't known shit about disability and and wasn't really part of a community of people with disabilities. So that action really like threw me in such a like organic, genuine, authentic way and I had recently lost another disabled friend with my same disability who like spiritually kind of like showed up in my apartment the night before I went to the action. And um, she was also like a big advocate and made me feel like I wasn't doing enough, maybe, you know, like or that I just wanted to like celebrate her legacy of like constantly fighting. And so, um, Yeah, that was a really big week for me. And even though I was like in a senator's office for three days, like it was the most stable I had felt in (laughs) three years. You know, it was like everything started to like align back again, everything aligned that week. And so I sat in an office with a bunch of these dope ass women that had kind of paved the way and 
I learned quickly that Denver was the epicenter for disability justice, one of. Um, We were one of the first towns that started an independent living center and broke people out of the nursing home, young people um, to live in their own apartments. And like we were the first uh, city to make transit, mass transit accessible, which ended up after after we did it going all around the globe. London had some really cool actions um, around transit that I just like poked into. So, yeah, like everything just kind of like came full circle in this senator's office. Um, and I got to meet Carrie Ann Lucas and ADAPT is is the protest group that I had known about for a long time. And I had been trying to kind of get involved with them. Um, but there's different chapters. I played an inaccessible show at South by Southwest and ADAPT like almost protested me or maybe they did. <laughs> so like... I'm familiar, but I had no idea that it was like right here in, you know, like the intersection that they protested the buses is an intersection that I have been to a million times in my life. Right. And, you know, just had no clues. So like, yeah, that was that was a really cool week. And I met some like really badass uh, people that they were older than I was the youngest ish yeah i was the youngest and like most i was super into like activism but i was on the outside of like the disability crew (laughs) even though i'm like just as disabled so um it was dope uh and and you know crip time and, and crip life is like sometimes short so unfortunately like two people in that office that during that action passed away since yeah don't take this shit for granted you know you never know 100 percent, and it's it's that sitting was was one of the, the the first things that opened my eyes to kind of disability justice and active disability protests and it's one of those things that every step of this these protests provide powerful imagery and powerful thoughts and discussion because you've got all these amazing people holding an office holding protests but then it ends with you being dragged out handcuffed and god damn that's not Mm -hmm. a nice situation but hell is it a powerful image for the cause do you know Mm -hmm. what i mean to kind of go look this is where we are we're handcuffing people and literally dragging them out of their chairs and all this kind of thing it's like this is peaceful protest you there was a point in every Black Lives Matter thing that no matter what people saw, there'd be someone who would argue, yeah, but what happened just before this? Or yeah, but what happened? Who did this? Who did that? Who did-? It's like, argue right. against this shit, man. Try and make yeah. your argument against this shit. This is, right. it's undeniable. And that's, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, they, they knew that pretty like early on. There was a civil rights dude named Wade Blank who moved to Denver and it was like shortly after MLK and Malcolm X like got assassinated and he was just kind of like done for, you know, and like needed to switch it up and came here to Denver um, and worked in a nursing home as like a youth counselor and just like quickly realized, you know, like how fucked up it all was. And uh, 
with that same sense of organizing and like, yeah, like who you put on the front lines and, you know, uh, what makes the press kind of stuff. He was like, well, okay, now we have your own apartment, which is huge, but like nobody could go anywhere. Nobody could get transportation to the grocery store or the Mm -hmm. doctor or whatever. So, um, they organized and it was, it was, it's been pretty interesting to know how closely connected the civil rights, uh, movement and, and the black Panthers and the, the black organizing efforts influenced and crossed over with the disability protests. Um, like Denver was a big hub and the even bigger spot was the Bay area. This is like in the seventies, eighties, um, before, before we made the a federal law protecting us. So yeah, it's cool, you know, and it's something that like I knew that I had to dig in harder to and, how do you do that authentically? You know, like books don't do the same thing as like relationships and connections and like love and friendship, you know? And so I was just so like lucky to kind of jump into that world in such a like (laughs) intense, like heavy, powerful way. It was, it was really, really beautiful. And I've always had a knack for, you know, civil disobedience and in that. And I've been to so many protests and never once like one of those that was like putting myself out to get arrested. Cause it just, sometimes it can be like a badge of honor at protests yeah. and you're like just getting arrested to show that you could get arrested. It never like felt right. Like I would be taking up space more than I'd be helping. But when, when this happened, I was like, Hey, I just read your post about something. And they're like, yeah, you want to come with us? You want? Can you get arrested? And I'm like, yep, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I c- called the homie and was like, hey, can you cover my classes the next few days just in case? And uh, sure enough, yeah, we got arrested. That's madness. So d- did you gr- grow up in Denver? Is 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 that that where you're from originally? Because it's it's yeah, it's quite a progressive place. Like at the, w- when. I used to tour America. Like our manager was from Denver, so we'd start every tour oh, cool. there. And it was particularly for America, but in g- g- general, it's always been quite a progressive and r- a revolutionary place. So, mm-hmm. do you think it was the perfect place for you to grow up to, with everything that you were f- f- facing and the path you've ended up taking? Absolutely. And I've so I was born here, and I lived in LA for a little bit till I was like eight. So I I moved back to Denver when I was eight. And it just, there's something about this place that's so like, it's, it's weird. And I've always felt it and known it. Um, Like when I go back to LA, like LA is not home. It never really has been. Um, Denver is just this really unique, weird place that's it's gotta be the mountains, but it's a, it's a portal. It's a vortex. It's like, it's wild here. Uh, it is the wild west and we have, and again, the more relationships I have now and the more that I learn my history and stuff, it's like, Oh yeah, no wonder I feel this way. It's like, we, we were one of the hearts of the the Chicano movement, the Chicano power movement. Um, uh, and also like, you know, this mass shooting uh, once again happening here at home, like, 
we've been the birthplace of a lot of massacres, like going way back um, to the Native American situation where like here we, there was like a peace camp of like elderly disabled women and children that like got massacred and then they paraded their body parts like through Denver. So like, (laughs) and the white feminists like organized to get the KKK in power and our Chinatown was like burned down by white supremacists and Columbine, you know, like it goes on and on and on the amounts of like violence that has happened in this place that we know as Denver, which is like stolen land from genocide. Um, But there's always been this like really radical, like resistance counter. I don't know. Like there's, there's definitely a hardcore spirit of resistance here that I've never been able to articulate. It's just like a feeling and, and going on tour and traveling more. I'm like, man, Denver really is special. Like I'm biased, you know, but like it is, it is this place. Um, and, and looking back on the history, like it's been this place for a long time and, and it's kind of like a magnet of weirdos. And there's, there's a pretty, it's a great place to be creative because you're so like, landlocked and surrounded by mountains like it's like a big city small town i don't know like yeah denver is home you're literally in a bowl of uh, surrounded by mountains just in this this petri dish of just creativity and yeah kind of we're not quite the bull like it's also directionally super easy because the mountains are west right so actually east it's just like plains yeah, yeah. Um, but West is also like the continental divide. It's like where all the water goes either to the Atlantic or the Pacific. So wow. like, yeah. It, and even though we have the biggest mountain ranges, whatever, right here, like the city itself is pretty chill when it comes to like weather. Yeah. You know, we don't get mountain weather. And yeah, like yeah, yeah. our winter, we get hell of sunshine here. So like... It'll snow three feet and be gone within three days. It, you know, it, it it feels to me like culturally and 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 politically, it's comparable to when to when hip hop was kicking off and the whole you know Manhattan mm. keeps on making it, Brooklyn keeps on taking it. Everything that's great and progressive about LA happened in Denver first. Like, like, mm. like, like <laughs> all of this, like, I love LA. I think there's so much good shit there and it can be so progressive and so warm and, and re- receptive to artistry, but they've got it all from Denver. <laughs> like, all yeah. of the progression and all of the, all of the thought, like they've got weed now. Denver had weed. Denver had yeah, weed. It's exactly. like, like we, well, they had this covered. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's been part of our culture for so long. Like before the legalized and even when we were trying to just do it medically, it was like, I remember getting my license from this like sketchy ass situation. Um, But yeah, I mean, I moved back here to Denver again when I was like eight, eight and a half, nine. And uh, the kids that early are like, yo, you smoke weed. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, we're going to go get high. And I'm like, I knew about like meth and like 
you know, hard drugs, like growing up in LA with like yeah. a drug addict mom, but like weed and it's like everywhere. It's, it's just, it's a vibe here for sure. We're, we're a really strange place in, in the United States. Um, and, uh, yeah, it does influence like my everything. I've always been a Denver kid. Um, but, you know, the more involved I got and the more connections and loves I've made, the more I'm affirmed in like why Denver is this place that I call home, you know. I, I love it. So, so what was your route into into rap, into music, into the arts? I was in LA, I was five, and I heard Power 106 on my Walkman, and I it was like instant love, like, yeah. I mean, instant. I, I have a pretty vivid memory of just, like, listening to my own Walkman while in the car with my dad and uh, finding Power 106 and was like, you got to check this out, turn this on. And he turned it on and was like, Turn this shit off. And I was like, that's my jam. Like, yeah. I know. So TLC was like, you know, the first album I was able to convince my parents to get me. I'm the only child. They were separated. So, like, I had to work the angles, you know, to get <laughs> these albums for a five-year-old and that album ooh, on the TLC tip was like my everything. And I'm like five with this safe sex public service announcement. I knew fucking every word. Left eye was everything to me. Um, and then I got into like Salt and Pepper. Very Necessary came out the same year. 92 was like a great year for yeah. rap music for me and yeah. i was just a baby i mean like i should not probably have been uh memorizing all of yeah. that i mean that's like the earliest that. start i remember of speaking to anyone like of when they got into hip-hop i was like if some people are like yeah i was in my teens and whatever else you're like no yeah i was i was young yeah i was young and that again like being an only child and like being in castle a lot and just like having to spend a lot of time alone like that was my shit you know, it was my everything. I think it was like rap music was my first identity. And like just the first thing that I knew was like mine and it wasn't my parents and um, wasn't even necessarily everybody around me. You know, it was just like defined who I was stylistically and just like energetically. And yeah, at the time there was like a lot of women doing it um mm -hmm. missy elliott and shit so like that was pretty empowering at the time and yeah i was already like a tomboy so then like you know when tlc came out with like hat to the back i was like oh finally somebody gets me you know <laughs> um finally in my five years of long life um <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's been my everything. I wrote my first, I didn't start writing raps though until I was 12. I wrote a rap about the Broncos winning the Super Bowl for a talent show. Amazing. And I did like the talent show every year after that. And then, like, high school, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it, you know? And it's one, it's like a fake it to make it thing, you know? Like, yeah. I wasn't actually rapping, but I had decided I was a rapper. I wasn't like hard 
rapping, you know, yeah. um, made a couple songs here and there, uh, took senior pictures with the microphone, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, um, I wasn't planning on going to college really cause I just wanted to be a rapper, but I got a scholarship and found a pretty cool program in town to do like the, per- I, I was started making my own beats in high school too, because I couldn't afford to like pay dudes to make them for me. And I couldn't afford the studio time. So I got a job at 15 and just saved up and bought a roll in 909. And oh, um, once I got that scholarship, I was like, cool, I could learn to make beats better, like produce better. So I got a degree in recording engineering, but I was really just using like all my school time and, and credit hours to, to record myself and, yeah. and the early wheelchair sports camp. And then started wheelchair sports camp around college with the same dude that I had been rapping for with since like middle school. And um, yeah, just kept at it. And the more like involved I got, the more we were asked to do like a lot of benefit shows and like actions. And so like, it just kind of all worked together. And, and then that's how, I got my job teaching. There's another, the Flowbots here in town um, had like a pretty big record one year and they started a pretty awesome uh, nonprofit to teach um, music to underserved youth in the city. So I started like working through that and I don't know, rap music's just got me into all (laughs) these things that I never expected, you know, I never thought that my life would like get any bigger than rapping. Like rapping has always been the pinnacle of everything, you know, and now it's like some people know me just like as an activist or I rolled for mayor now. Like a lot of people don't even know I rap, like done some little TV episodes, teaching, you know, now we're like building and now I'm an immersive installation artist, you know? <laughs> I love that shit. Well, I mean, <laughs> speaking of, of, of rap being everything at that age, one of the things Dolan told me to ask you about was pimping wheelchair access to meet every rapper ever. So it's like, so <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> How's that been? Yeah, who, I definitely think I ch- I definitely think I like chose this body because um, I would be like in a lot of trouble if I could be. Um, <laughs> I'd be very violent, like like uh, my DNA <laughs> is programmed to be. So yeah, I like exploited. I exploited the shit out of my disability. I still do, you know. Um, <laughs> it's so weird, like. It's such a weird thing of being like dehumanized so often that you can get away with like murder. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, and, and a lot of that also has to do with like my white privilege and being like a white girl and I can speak however I need to to like get into places. Um, so yeah, I used to sneak backstage all the time at every hip hop show. I've met everybody, like everybody. I love that. Show. Uh, I, like natural born scam artists for sure. Before Photoshop, like a rapper would be like, Oh, give this to that girl over there. And uh, then I'd like photocopy it so that it like the year changed. And then I knew like the entrance. So like I just would be like, 
oh, so-and-so told me to come here. You know, like, oh, Ludacris told me to come back here. And they're like, okay, it's easy. Because, like, I'm so pitied, you know? Like, people always want to take that photo op with, like, the Make-A-Wish kid. Um, so I was like, yeah, make. I, I need to make a wish. I'm going to make all my wishes. That's right. <laughs> I love that shit. So, so, so when you got into touring life, because you spoke about n- not realizing in your own town some of the the failings in accessibility and things like that. How's it been to kind of tour the whole country and be confronted by all of these th- different restrictions as someone with a disability and to be like, right, wow. And as you said, in 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 Austin, almost being protested for p- playing somewhere that had bad access. And yeah, how was that to kind of tour about and go, oh, right, because... B said, like the shows he's he's had with you have been so eye opening for shit that he wouldn't have noticed as mm. as someone who's not got a chair or or or, or right. whatever else he's he he wouldn't have noticed. But a t- turn with you has opened his eyes to so many shitty yeah, venues, cause essentially. Because he has to carry me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know that's been like the interesting dynamic of it is like. I haven't been super limited by touring, but it's because of, like, the privilege of being tiny and being, like, stupid enough to trust drunk dudes to carry me everywhere. And, like, I don't know. That's always been my lifestyle and how I was kind of raised is, like, fuck it, we're doing it. Like, I never even really had a choice as a kid. Like, no, that looks dangerous. and. My parents would be like, you just got out of a cast. You're going, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) so it actually kind of confronted a lot of my ableism and brought me, checked me and like brought me closer to that disability justice community that I didn't think I had a part of or that I had no relationship to because I had been playing in Denver for like, quite a while before touring and I would play in accessible places here and get carried. And there was a time where I was like, man, I'm going to feel like the biggest asshole ever. If somebody in a chair comes to see me and I'm down in this basement. So I started kind of doing it on my own of just like making sure that I post on my website, like, where I'm playing and how accessible it is just in case. Mm -hmm. But like hardly ever did I see visibly disabled people at our shows ever. And so I didn't have to think a lot about it until going on tour and our, our first big national tour, we went to San Francisco. I didn't book the tour. We were support. We played at cafe de Nord, which is like a historic spot. Yeah. Also in the basement. It's the only place I've ever ever uh, 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 played there. I've played there two or three times, but yeah, it's 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 a basement, right? It's a basement, and yeah. uh, that's where all the crip, the radical crips are. And so I got hate mail, <laughs> and oh, they were shit. like, "What the fuck?" You know, like, and I I didn't even know up until then that like disabled people were listening, and so I was like, "Fuck." <laughs> Uh, let me try to find a spot that we could play an accessible show before the inaccessible show. And I hit up some homies and 
wasn't able to lock anything down, so we did like a free busking set on it, like we just played a whole set on the sidewalk before Amazing. the show. Yeah. And that's where like I really had to like sit with myself and be like, you know, like I've taken these opportunities because I can. And you know what I mean? Like I still play in accessible places because I can. But now like I have this more moral thing that I'm like, fuck, like, is that cool to like, just cause you, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been a hard thing for me because of course, like once I get carried down the basement, that in itself is huge in like a statement. And then I'm on stage and I'm like cussing everybody out about the access. So like, to me, I'm still kind of like infiltrating the spot to like yeah. let it be known that this is like cool. And I'm so grateful to like have been in that historic building, but like that's so shitty that so many people aren't afforded that chance. Yeah. So I guess that's what touring has like really done for me is just kind of like dealing with my own ableism. And, and there, there was that time at South by where, it wasn't accessible. We were playing with B upstairs and then they were like ready to change our set to a spot downstairs. I was just hoping to add a set, you know, like an accessible set. But the dude downstairs is like a Zionist rapper. And I'm like, okay, do I hate the handicaps or do I hate the Palestinians? And it's like, well, I'm crippled enough that I think I can hate on them. (laughs) so i played the upstairs one you know Uh, because i don't know that's just where i was at and there were a couple disabled people that came and had all the homies like carry them up which isn't safe you know like in disasters that's not you know we're the first to go you know there's no exit and shit and bathrooms like when you're getting carried upstairs like bathroom gets weird because usually it's back downstairs yeah i don't know it's it's been it's been interesting but i do my best to like use my platform to like speak on it and um it's again so it's it's something i do because i'm afforded like because that's my privilege like i hang out with galen i don't know if you heard of galen she also has my disability and is culturally appropriating my name but she's not gay. <laughs> she plays the uh, violin and she won Tiny Desk a while ago. Right. So she got thrown into touring like that. Yeah. She went from like playing in her bedroom to national tours and she travels in her power chair. Right. So like that's the other thing is like when I tour, I'm in my manual chair and I'm okay with being carried everywhere. But I prefer to be in my power chair because it's like way bulkier and I can like get around better. Uh-huh. Yeah. So if I was in, my, if I was touring in my power chair, like my whole dynamic, my whole everything would be different. You know, yeah. I wouldn't one step in this power chair is like a lot, <laughs> let alone like a flight of stairs or getting up on the stage. And that was something else I realized, like, cause I've been going to shows since I was a baby and toddler. I mean, like, yeah, I've been going to shows. I've been an audience member forever. So access is very different as an audience member 
than stages. Like it's very rare to have an accessible stage. Yeah. Way rarer than it is to have like an accessible section, you know? Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's a, it's a crazy a situation to have been on, on both sides of. And then, as you said, a crazy thing to have to take into consideration because all of us, you know, we're, we're trying to get gigs. We're trying to get up on stage. Like we're trying to get out there and build an audience, particularly on support mm-hmm. shows and things like that and, and, and support slots on tours. So to have to have the added, you know, responsibility almost put upon you to go, well, are you going to agree to play yeah. that show when, when it's right. this, this, it's like, well, man, I just want to play, but I get it as well. So yeah, right. it's mad. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. And then, you know, there's places outside of the country that are just like way old. I mean, we've toured Mexico, like, oh, man, I, you know, <laughs> No access. Yeah. And I wanna I wanna come, you know, play Europe more. And I know that like those buildings are way older than here. So like Yeah. Again, as soon as you were well were talking about that, I was thinking about all these iconic venues in the UK that are basements or are up a load of stairs because they're old buildings and, and mm-hmm. it's just not g- good enough. It's not yeah. I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right. I do. I do. And I'm I'm very lucky and humbled to like be in this very visibly disabled body and yet still have a body and a stupid head that's like ready for that adventure, you know? Because and I I do think it's still like has its own I mean like Bernard Bidon, you know, like by me being as crazy as I am, like now he's forever changed because yeah. I'm like, okay, we're staying in this apartment. You ready? <laughs> I got us an apartment to stay at. It's four floors up. <laughs> you know? And uh yeah that like that's the very least I can do and and that's always been my purpose before I was able to know it's like just making making relationships and like take taking it to the fullest you know and touring has really been a big piece of that it's like you know the feeling of just like it takes so much to like book a tour and to get out on it. but once you're in the car or the plane or wherever it's like it's diving off a cliff yeah. you know and it's it's such an exciting, it's such a drug, you know, um, yeah. that you're in for or not. <laughs> and I'm in for, I'm in for it for sure. And traveling, uh, but traveling, traveling even before touring has always, yeah, been interesting and trickier. And, you know, I, I don't take my power chair anywhere traveling. Right. Like the, the airlines, I don't trust. I mean, the airlines like destroy I don't know, hundreds of wheelchairs a day. Yeah. yeah. It's like this wheelchair is like $20,000. Like I cannot afford to lose this chair. <laughs> like well, literally. Well, if, if uh, when you do get to come to Europe or the UK, you know, if there's anyone l- l- listening now or will do some kind of setup that will get s- s- some kind of UK power chair sponsorship deal, 
to, <laughs> to, to hook to hook you up upon arrival and uh, <laughs> and take care of this shit. Well, I mean, we're at the hour marks, uh, so I'll start uh, to wrap things up. But I mean, speaking of making relationships and and wreaking havoc, there were two things on Dolan's list. One was smoking weed in an alleyway with Doug Stanhope and one was getting arrested outside of a show in Denton with Dolan. So which one do you want to go into or do you want to <laughs> explain both? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's got to start with, with getting arrested in Denton because that's how we met. Um, right. I had seen that Dolan came through because the person that was supporting him was like my... The only, I, I actually am not a super hater and I'm like pretty loved by Denver and love everybody in Denver. But there is one act at the time in particular that I just despise. And so they were playing with B. Dolan, which made me look into B. Dolan. And he was headed the same direction as South by that we were. And I had just got us like an official spot. And so I tweeted him like a fucking weirdo in early 2000 and was like, um, Hey, I see you're going the same way. If like you need support, let me know. And he had already heard of me through some other rapper. And so he's like, yeah, I would love that. Like those other Denver guys suck and they're not going to come on tour with me. I'm like, yeah, I could have told you that. That's why I didn't come to your Denver show. Um, and so we played, Albuquerque and then Denton was the second show and this is our first time out my first time out of Denver and um it was like the fire show like people were chanting and asking for encore I mean it was like a hype 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 show yeah and my first real time out and so like and we had a graffiti some some spray paint with us and we just like went ham we're like tagging smiley faces on the sidewalk and hanging out and it was like a college town it was like a cool vibe but it still was in texas so we were headed out and we went to the apartment that we were gonna stay at and one of the roommates had called the cops on us and like you could smell it as soon as we got up there it was like uh uh-oh like yeah my girlfriend at the time was like everyone in the wheelchair sports camp crew time to go Right. And we like jetted, hit the highway, and the car in front of us got pulled over and seized everything. And then I like laid low for a while, changed our clothes, uh, did all the things, you know, hid the bodies, and then <laughs> circled around. And our car with the trailer of band gear was getting towed. Oh, shit. And so I was like, fuck, I need to follow them so that I could get it out of tow and pay for it. And then they led us into a trap. So then everybody in my car got arrested. And I'm sitting on like a half ounce of weed. I got spray paint all over my chair. And they would not take me to jail because of my wheelchair magic. And I, I, um, I, I, I love that. That you could could ch- change your clothes, but the, the the guilt was all over your chair. You could you, oh, yeah. you you couldn't hide this. There was no switching that from from years before too. You know, it's like <laughs> years of years of spray paint. And yeah. So um, 
everybody went to jail, basically, except me and my DJ at the time. And um, rest in peace, be money. And uh, I was like, fuck, B, we all got arrested. I got to bail my girlfriend out, da-da-da. And he's, like, supposed to go to a show in Austin with uh, some rappers, what fairly well-known rappers. And he, like, was like, fuck that. I'm going to stay and make sure y'all get this covered. And he did. He, like, hid the bo- he helped us hide the bodies. And we got everybody out of jail eventually. My girlfriend ended up having to go back. I bailed her out. And then, like, they took her back. It was a nightmare first trip. Nightmare. But a hell of a first impression. And it actually gave us all this press. So when we did roll into South by Southwest, there was actually people there, which was cool and like unexpected. So that's, yeah, that's how our love affair started. So like, of course, every tour, like there's something crazy that happens. Like I don't tour with weed anymore ever since then. Like it was not worth it. Um, I don't spray paint. On the road, <laughs> hardly ever. Uh, but you know, it was our first time out. It was a blast. And then um, we've made that trip to South by would be a handful of times. I want to say like a dozen, but that would be exaggerating because it's 2021. But that was 2011. So yeah, like most of the decade making that trip and the, the trips got longer and the loops got bigger. And yeah. then we would sometimes do like some other runs outside of South by, but South by was usually like an anchor for us. So there was one time we were there and the homie was like, let's go to this comedy show. And it was Jeff Ross, like, roasting people who I had no idea who the dude was or what roasting was. And he's like, okay, everybody's favorite time, time to roast. Like any ugly people, any, you know, any, any easy person to pick on and all the fucking bullies in my band are like, Kaylin, you got to. And I'm like, no, no, no. And then they carried me on stage non-consensually and, I got grilled. Like I, I quickly picked up that it was like signing up to lose a rap battle, which I can do. So <laughs> I got roasted by Jeff Ross. Yeah, after. it's like a one-way rap battle, right? Yeah, <laughs> a rap absolutely. battle with no response. Yeah, and I just had to like eat it up, and it was fine. And then we all, I was like, okay, well that was fun. You want to go smoke weed? And he's like, dude, you are so punk. I can't believe you put yourself up there. And I was like, well. I didn't, but he talked about us on NPR like a year ago and was like, yeah, she just like wanted to be normalized. And I'm like, oh, not quite. (laughs) Like, I didn't know. I didn't actually know what the fuck I was getting into. But uh, yeah, so like made homies with Jeff Ross after he fucking grilled me for being little. Madness. Well, I mean, speaking of of it being... 2021 and that 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 route to south by southwest not happening this past year probably not happening this year one of the things that's been a highlight for me in this period is has been nether rap and dolan mm-hmm. building this minecraft 
rap gig. And the excitement as it was like before it was announced of seeing the stages that were being built for different people and seeing the the group email go out saying, mm-hmm. if you if there's anything you'd like for a stage, just let us know. And seeing the instant obvious nature that the wheelchair sports camp stage was going to be a police station <laughs> on fire, which was mm-hmm. just in Minecraft was such a genuinely powerful and beautiful image. It was kind of obviously over the top, exaggerated, but so accentuated because it's in this weird kind of essentially a kid's game that's been co-opted for a a festival for people of all ages. So so how was that Mm -hmm. to play a a gig in Minecraft and have that, that mad location? No, it was so fun. That was so much. I could not believe how much fun I actually had inside. It was super weird though. Like putting a set together in headphones. Like, it actually was really good for me to think about a set so intensely. Because I'm the type that's like, we show up. Like, I'm so busy trying to get the band there at Soundcheck and myself there at Soundcheck and making sure I got everything that I don't usually figure out the set to, like, on stage. (laughs) And even then, it's, like, pretty flexible, you know. Um, So... Yeah, like, to really have to think about a set like that made me really, like, have to focus. And uh, it was, like, so nice for me to rap into a mic and be like, oh, yeah, I fucking rap. Like, (laughs) I'm a rapper boy, you know? Like, it just felt so good to, like, do it. But it was way different and, like, way more pleasurable than I expected. And... Yeah, like, I was so thrilled to be part of that. But that's the thing about B that it's no wonder, like, we somehow connected. I, I We were bound to, to be best buds because that fool has consistently put together weird shit his whole, you know? I mean, yeah. like, I am definitely a freak show circus entertainer, and that dude is always looking for weirdos to like cultivate this cool and curate this cool like multi-genre multi-age multi-race you know like that dude i look to him so much for for creating festivals and lineups and and show experiences you know like being part of church of love and ruin and even just the work that we put into just announcing our little tours together is like, it's definitely outside of your typical get out on the road and play with whoever, you know, he's very intentional about curating artists. And, and so, yeah, of course it was the best. (laughs) The, the, the the jealousy I had when he'd be doing these, these church, a love and ruin lineups with you guys, with Voca, with, Katya with wrestlers thrown in there, all sorts of just crazy performances. And I was like, man, I'm half a world away. And obviously he did a church and a love and ruin thing in the UK, but it had to be somewhat stripped down because just getting the watch ear brigade over and stopping them from being arrested every night was enough of a job. So adding too many other people was, was tough in itself. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I can't wait to go overseas with them. I did get to go to Bestival. We played Bestival yeah. one year. Um, yeah. But I unfortunately didn't do what I needed to do to, like, make a run out of it. We didn't really have, like, the, you know, the the name quite yet for yeah. it. But uh, I'm still so pissed that I didn't just spend a day in London. Like, we spent more money going and more time traveling than we did on the Isle of Wight. Like, yeah. it's so stupid. Yeah. So stupid. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll wrap things up by asking, what is ahead? Musically, socially, personally, you know, what's what do you see on the other side of everything that we've gone through in this last year? Mm. Well, uh, this, this musical, Alice in Wonderland, is going to happen this summer with a family group who is the first theater company in the States of all disabilities. So their theater wow. group that's been holding it down here for 30 plus years, high caliber disability theater group. Um, and this is their first original. So I'll be the Cheshire cat head. And yes. uh, we wrote all the music that I'm super excited about. And so that'll, there will be an Alice in Wonderland album. And, uh, um, Yes, I'm a Mess was the first single um, off uh, some kind of project. I don't know if it'll be a full album or an EP, um, but there's definitely songs from that era, from my Saturn Return, Real Lover, Heartbreak shit, um, that I hope to finish by the end of the year and put out. Um, So we'll be dropping more singles until that baby's out and then um meow wolf will hopefully be open by the end of the year and and personally i can't wait to like travel again and get back out and play and go to shows um i i really miss that and want to do that and it's been a couple years because i i rolled for mayor for a whole year plus so there was no real touring during that except we did like a a quick run through prisons, but that's not quite the same. Um, so yeah, touring, traveling, uh, dropping, dropping these projects that we've been working on behind the scenes for so many years and just being loved in, in real time. I'm so stoked for that. I'm vaccinated. So just had a birthday and was like cheek on cheek, please to everybody who's vaccinated. Yeah. And just, like, really trying to push myself, you know, outside of, like, rap music's my anchor, but, like, kind of pushing pushing into new things. Like, I don't know, maybe maybe I'll be on your show or something. And I, I need to get into, like, voices. Yeah. That's something I've always wanted to do. And, like, this will be my first acting thing, but maybe I'll do that. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. But, fuck, we made it to 2021, so. Damn right. Can't be that bad. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It's been such a pleasure to just, I mean, podcast aside, it's been a pleasure to get on, you know, I I know we can't do it face-to-face at the moment, but to get on Zoom and and chat and, uh, yeah. Yeah, same. And, And thanks so much for, like, supporting and, you know, like you're my biggest hype man i think (laughs) 
I get so I, I, I get overexcited and I worry sometimes. I, I said this this uh, to you before. I worry sometimes that I'm going to annoy people with the, no, the constant please. tags of "Yo, check this shit out." It's it's amazing. No, so. I appreciate it. Um, we don't have like a big publicity team, so you're it. You're hired. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. it. And I've been, you know, following you from afar for so long through B. So it's also super great to connect and, and see your face. And I can't wait for all three of us to, to be able to hang out and it be, oh, it, it be some kind of gathering from, from many different locations into the real world. Projected I'm going to show once. my whole ass. <laughs> I mean, it's I've got to end it on party. that, right? It's got to be the end Showing my whole ass when it happens. Listening to Scroobius Pip's distraction pieces. There we go. I told you it was a good one. Um, I hope I didn't overhype it, but I don't think I did. I don't think it's possible to overhype that episode and that and that human. What a human! Next week's episode is also a banger. You know, I sent round a few bits of hype about this week's episode, and then the next day, I recorded um, a chat with someone who, at the time, was in quarantine in australia and i came out of that one going was that better <laughs> have i just recorded the two best episodes i've ever recorded but yeah spread this one around please i think it's a fantastic one um so spread the word obviously when we have like fucking mary j blige on or or, or michael fassbender or simon Pegg, the word kind of spreads itself but with these smaller, more personal stories that you may not already be familiar with, it's really incumbent on you guys to spread the good word. I believe in you. I think you're wonderful. I'm, as I record this, I'm about to to go into quarantine. 
um, or when you hear this, it will be if you if you listen on the Wednesday, it will be my first day of ten days of quarantine. So I might jump on and do another Patreon Zoom hangout to fill the time one or two. So if you want in on that, head over to patreon.com slash pip. You can find me there. Yeah. Yeah. That's about that. What a podcast. What a human. Um, and I think if if wheelchair sports camp do come to the UK, um, I want us to to find a sponsor to hook up with a dope electric wheelchair for whilst Kaylin is in this country. I want all. I basically want all sorts of of hookups to make it so that someone can come to another country and live a comfortable and normal life in their time here, rather than be restricted because they can't necessarily afford to pay huge amounts to to bring their basic comforts with them. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna get get back to that if this this shit happens because I'm gonna go all out balls to the wall to. To, to to make people act act right. Um, anyway, <laughs> it might not happen. Who knows if the world will ever open up properly again. <sighs> I will see you all next week. As said, it's another cracking episode. And I'm recording just some killers at the moment. So you're in for some treats. I've got big plans for May. I still don't know if they're going to happen. Basically, I've teased the big plans for May, but I'm not going to start working on them until this quarantine starts because I need that kind of time and I need to be on the right time zone and there's a lot to go into them. There's a lot of work for them. Buddy Peace will be hearing this and being delighted. Um, Yeah, but if if we can pull it off, May's going to be a big one for the distraction pieces, homies. Uh, Yeah. But if I don't, then you'll just get normal episodes and I'll pretend I never said any of this. And in reality, no one listens all the way to the end. So if a pip makes a promise and nobody hears it, did it ever really happen? Stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.